0: Hello and welcome to the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. We are your hosts, Parker Dillman and Stephen Craig. C, C, Stephen, hosts. We were guests last week. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Uh, so, last week, we, at the end of the podcast, we asked our listeners to name our conference rooms. Yep. And so we got a couple feedback. You know, a couple of people gave us some feedback on Twitter, on YouTube, and in IRC. Mm hmm um tony ddi wire he gave me some feedback on youtube and uh he wants to call them mac minor and mac major which are basically in some os's that's how you basically record mac addresses for different device ids so you have a a major value and a minor value which is like 32 bit and 16 bit okay um Interesting, I have actually I actually had to look that up, what Mac Minor and
1: Mac Major were, because I had no idea what those were. They just sound like they could be value meals at McDonald's. Yeah. So, it's a good one, yeah. yeah. It's just kind of funky in that way. That's um, what I thought it was at first, because I didn't know about the addressing or anything. Exactly.
0: Um, Justin Knight, who is our production manager, VP guy, mm-hmm. um, he's, he calls the smaller room the pagoda, because it doesn't have chairs, and we just put a table in it the other week. Yes, <laughs> um, some people have been talking about calling it Hertz and Megahertz, uh, VCC and VDD for power and ground. You know, power and ground would be a good one. Actually, yeah, that's 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 pretty good right there. Um, you had a good one during mic check. Yeah, I, I TX and RX. Um, people were mentioning like SDA and SCL for I square C communication. Yeah. Um. Yeah, uh, I think Chris Church, who's our CEO, wanted to call it like name it after some like electrical engineering laws or something like that. What if we call it Maxwell equations? This sounds cool.
1: <laughs> sure. <laughs> so wait, but you had one, right? Oh yeah, of course. Conference make conference face. That's that's <laughs> absolutely
0: perfect. That's what you would get if if you let all the internet choose. You no, know, we for should. You. I wonder if we actually did put a poll up, how many people would actually answer the poll.
1: Where would you put it up? I don't know, Twitter or something. Let's let's do it. Yeah. I mean, I, I like what we have here, but let's get a larger sample size. Yeah. We'll, we'll put a poll up and see what people actually vote on. <laughs> I like conference, Nick conference <laughs> face.
0: <laughs> um, and then yesterday, I was working on some uh, customer boards, testing them. And they were had some super bright LEDs on them. And I got really tired of basically plugging them in and being immediately blinded when they
1: turned on. These things were ridiculous.
0: Yeah. And so I eventually actually just grabbed my welding helmet and stuck it on. And, uh, and it was bright enough to actually trip the, the sensor in the auto-darkening helmet to actually dim the the lens.
1: Yeah, yeah. Which you got a killer welding helmet. Yeah, it's got a big viewing area. Yeah, I mean it. It's it's an enormous. It's it's like a monitor in your face yeah. uh, size. It's it's the biggest I've certainly ever seen, and it's got all kinds of like controls and stuff inside. The the best thing it has that that helmet has is it has a button.
0: When you press it, it tests the battery, so you can so it'll basically dim the screen. Yeah, and so that way you don't accidentally blind yourself because your battery's not you know turned on.
1: Seems like a really Simple feature that yeah. should be in a
0: lot because I think that was actually the first thing that happened when we first started welding the roll cage in the Jeep. Yeah, um, Mike Williams, who's a developer at MacroFab, he he knows how to weld, so we were doing it. And the, the first weld we make that day, he did that mistake. He did not turn on the battery in his helmet, and immediately just arc flashed
1: his face. <laughs> yeah, his and he was he was like a foot away from the <laughs> weld too. I mean, his face was. Yeah. So, so you're getting into welding now, right? Yeah. Yeah. So um Battle. local um makerspace TXRX here in Houston. You took a class there, right?
0: Yeah, I took a three hour
1: MIG welding
0: one on one basically.
1: Yeah. It was pretty good. I would recommend that to anyone who wants to learn how to weld. Yeah, going in going and taking a class is, is certainly a, a good job and, and doing it at the uh, at the makerspace, that's that's pretty cool to support yeah. the local place. Uh so our makerspace here in Houston does MIG, TIG and Art, stick right or yep. stick yeah, um and and a bunch of welding equipment has been showing up periodically now at yeah, the show. From, Parker's getting into it. yeah from Amazon yeah they, actually the welder is is uh, showed up today
0: and Stephen helped me carry it out to the to the Jeep. It, it was hefty yeah. So looks like you got a
1: lot of fun coming up here soon. Yeah we'll see. It should be fun. Cool. So uh, got an update on the. Uh, the world's greatest resistor, uh, or or what I've been calling it, the resistor resistor.
0: Or uh, let's say the word, the greatest resistor in the world.
1: Oh, the gra- oh, I'm sorry, I got it <laughs> wrong. That was that was from one of our listeners. He he dubbed it the the greatest resistor in the world. Yes. So uh, last week we were talking about this. Well, the last two weeks we were actually. I don't talking about
0: I don't this. always impede flow, but when I do, I am the biggest resistor in the world. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
1: just no! Just stop! No more of that. <laughs> so, so yeah, got got an update. Uh, this is actually technically the first board that I've ever designed in an Eagle, uh, and I totally broke the rules. And I didn't do a schematic at all. I just went right to the board and just started plopping down resistors. Um, so, so a, kind of a follow up from from last week. This this resistor is just a giant array of. 40,000 resistors on one PCB. And and so I basically just did a massive copy and paste job and ended up making a monster PCB with 40,000 resistors that are all in a series parallel configuration. Uh, so we had talked about making the uh, the PCB dimensions uh, basically the same ratio as a 0603 resistor. And it was, we got lucky because... Once you stack all these resistors on there, the height of this array of resistors is 10 inches. So to make it the same ratio, it's a 20-inch wide board by 10-inch high. And I basically made giant copper planes on both the left and right side to kind of look like the side of a resistor. And uh, now it's this giant 20-inch by 10-inch board that looks like a resistor, and it's just got a boatload of resistors.
0: I in wonder it. if we should make this out of, like, 3-millimeter PCB material.
1: Just make it stiff as hell.
0: Yeah, instead of making it, because at one point six it'll be pretty flexible.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do that three millimeter. It's, it's, the board's gonna get pricey. <laughs>
0: eh, we'll build it once. Yeah, it'll be fun. It, it's already more expensive to just buy the resistors, versus buying a precision resistor already. So why not just knock it out of the park, right? With the bill of material.
1: But it's the principle <laughs> of the matter. We got to do this. Yes. We, we got to make this. So so I've already got my Eagle files done and it looks cool. So, some quick stats about this um, each resistor is a 10K resistor, it's a 1% tolerance, and each one has a power of 62 and a half uh, uh, watts or milliwatts. Milliwatts, yeah. Well, say 62 and a half watts. No, that'd be insane. <laughs> uh, so, if you just add all Powered the wattage... of the sun there. Yeah. Um, if you add all the wattage of each resistor, you got 40,000 times 62.5 milliwatts, you get this composite resistor will, will give you 2.5 kilowatts of power dissipation. Now, I doubt we'd ever actually so, be able to so do that. So for wattage, you basically just add them up? Series or parallel, you just... Yeah, you you add okay. them up, as, assuming that all the resistors are the same wattage and the same value. Okay. Um... But yeah, in this case, they are, so you just add them all up, or basically take the wattage of one and multiply it times the total amount. Yeah. Uh, so 2.5 kilowatt, which is killer, um, so the voltage we would have to put across this massive 10K in order to actually dissipate 2.5 kilowatts would be 5,000 volts. I don't have a way right now of actually... The, the only thing I have right now is I have a high-voltage power supply that can go up to 400 volts, so... I think it'd be fun to kind of hit it with a huge amount of voltage and see what we can yeah, get I wonder out of it. Um, we could probably try
0: to make, like make a, uh, a, uh, a Jacob Slider-style you know, uh, boost converter to basically pump a couple thousand kilovolts into this thing.
1: Yeah, but it'd have to be able to output a ton of output current. I wonder if we could just find a transformer that'll do 5,000 volts at 5 amps. That's uh
0: what
1: ten thousand watts? Uh no. That's two and a half kilowatts.
0: Oh yeah, two and a half kilowatts. Okay. <laughs> the the, the right. watts of right, the resistor. Right. No, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, uh, that would be hold on. You're saying five thousand wa- uh five thousand volts at what, five amps? Uh half an amp. Okay, I'm
1: about to say, because 'cause that'd be
0: look insane.
1: Yeah, no, that'd be twenty five thousand watts. Yeah, and then two- uh, let's see. Parker's doing some phone calculations. That's, you're going to
0: be pumping 21 amps into that transformer on the front end. Unless you can get a 220 volt. Huh. So it's going to be really hard to take this to its maximum. That, I think that's the, that's yeah, the result yeah. of this. Because you, you would ma- basically max out a typical 120 volt, 20 amp breaker if you, had a, if you could somehow find a...
1: Yeah, and getting a transformer that could do that would be ridiculously want, what, expensive. What voltage does like a microwave use? Because it has a that, that uh, transformer in there. The Magneto? Yeah. Uh, it's actually higher. I think that's like 25,000 volts. But it's not going to be able to put out that kind of current. I guarantee you that. Well, we can still try hitting it with 5,000.
0: Like, take some windings out. <laughs> just, well, the, it, it, the thing is... Because people turn these
1: things into welders. That's true. By running them backwards. I wonder if we... You know what? I just got rid of a microwave, too. Dang. I totally should have brought it in. Um... So this resistor can actually handle 10,000 volts. Uh, so we can we can always go pretty high on that and give that a shot. Hm. Well, uh, on top of being able to handle this, the interesting thing is the temperature coefficient of the entire resistor is actually... It doesn't change. No. Uh, so the temperature coefficient of the whole resistor is the same as the temperature coefficient of any one resistor on the board. So how does that work? Cuz if you
0: is it because it's in parallel and series? Yes.
1: Okay, cuz if you have two in series, you have to add the parts per million. Well, they would both basically go up by the same amount. Yes. So you end up resulting with the same. Now, that the temperature coefficient only works if the whole board equally goes Up or down or however, so it it gets kind of funky. Yeah, we
0: we actually had um uh one guy who listens to our podcast on IRC ask about if we can get a thermal imaging camera and point it at the thing when we turn it on, and then start actually running power through it and see how basically how does the board heat up? Yeah. Um, and I was thinking about that, and most thermal imaging cameras don't have a really high resolution. Yeah, and I mean that would be kind of a problem because you have forty. You know, forty thousand resistors. So what what's the grid by? Is it what? Two hundred by two hundred. Two hundred by two hundred. So we would need at least a well, I guess two hundred by two hundred resolution camera, give or take some, we could be able to see enough detail and see where stuff's seating up in then.
1: Well, actually That's you know, actually not as bad as I thought it would be. Well, you know what would be cool actually. So if you if you are able to hit this with a ton of of power and then you see how it heats up across the board you could see which resistors are potentially lower or higher based off of like what's the the, the path that electrons are trying to take yep. through it and then you'd be able to see like the lowest So path. those are lower and as they heat up it starts to redistribute. Right, um, right. That'd be kind of cool. But yeah. it seems pretty hard.
0: <laughs> no, if, if we get um, you know, a a decent thermal imaging
1: camera we should be able to see that. Let's see what we can do. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm gonna get this uh, yeah, yeah. gonna get this board on order here soon. Now that I got all the files, uh, but had a thought that that is interesting. So the design that I have puts all of the components on the top side of this board, and I was thinking there's a whole backside to this board that is just unpopulated, doesn't have anything on it. And if you think about you know a board this big going through a reflow oven, is it going to warp? Is there going to be any issues? And what can I do with the backside? And I was thinking, why don't we repeat this experiment with capacitors on the backside? So do a 200 by 200 array of one microfarad caps on the other side, because series in parallel with caps, even though it's the opposite of resistors, it, the equation still should come out, out the same way. So you have a calibration resistor on one side and a calibration cap on the other. And, you know, I was thinking is,
0: if, when you charge up that big capacitor array i wonder if it takes any longer to actually you know ramp up versus a normal you know 1 microfarad cap
1: yeah so, you have a lot more plate surface to fill up well and and one thing that would be interesting typically when you put a bunch of caps in in series you put dropping resistors across all of those legs so that you equally balance the load of voltage across each cap it would be cool to put those balancing resistors, charge it up, see how that charges, knock off all those resistors, and do it again and see how it charges now up. how it changes different. Right, yeah. because at that point, you're just relying on the leakage between the caps. Yep, to balance. To balance. Yeah, is it going to get all super funky? That would be a fun experiment. Might have to give that a go. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, so we'll get that on order and uh and we'll give you updates as it uh, as it all trickles in. Yeah, I think we should have it probably in 3 weeks done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and we're talking about potentially doing some videos of the my 200 pick and place actually placing all of these cuz it's going to take a long time. Well, even the my 500 pacing this entire board. Yeah. You got to think that's eight eighty thousand 80,000 pads. I wonder how fast it'll do it. <laughs> Because that then machine is super fast, it is very fast, but
0: it's still eighty it's still thousand eighty thousand
1: yeah right right uh, we might have to buy our own vial of paste because we're going <laughs> to go through a ton of it go through a whole whole thing of it it's it's ridiculous We, we actually told Chris the CEO about this project today, and he kind of rolled his eyes it was it was great it was fantastic, yeah and then uh last week you were working on a
0: uh, a base. Uh, amplifier, right? For yeah. one of your
1: Friends. Yeah. So uh, a buddy of mine, uh, he actually is a is a music teacher at a school here in Houston. I do I do some repairs for him occasionally, and uh, so he dropped off a bass amp that I've actually seen in in my shop a couple times. Uh, it's had some really interesting it issues. With that many it. times? No, but yes. At the same <laughs> time, first time he brought it in, it was just toast. I mean, the thing was just absolute crap. Uh, And so I spent, gosh, a long time trying to fix it. I couldn't find any schematics. I couldn't find anything to go along with it. And and eventually I... This is like a desperation thing when I'm, when I'm doing repairs. I end up calling the manufacturer. And the reason why I say it's desperation is because most of the time they won't help you. They're just like, oh, well, you know, good luck. You buy another one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, especially because this thing is probably like $400. bucks. they are not going to give you a bunch of service time on it and stuff. Uh, regardless, I called them up, and they're like, oh, yeah, that's the old revision of the main power amp board that you have in there. And they're like, would you like a new one? And I was like, "Yes." Uh, So (laughs) one that
0: preferably works. (laughs) Yeah,
1: and they shipped it from Italy, which is, I I don't. It's random. Is it it made in the same
0: factory as the Arduino? (laughs) I doubt (laughs) it. A a real Arduino, I should say. Right, the
1: the Genduino. No, remember they fixed all that. Well, okay, you're right. Yeah, that's all. That's all done as of like two months ago or whatever. But uh but yeah so so I get this this main amp board and it's what's really nice is the old amp board had trim pots all over it and I've got no information on what to do with those <laughs> and I'm, and I I don't want to go replacing like power transistors because you got to buy some and blah 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 regardless. Well this new board comes in and it's it's uh, uh, there's no trim pots it's just a plug and go. I literally just plopped it in the case, turned it on and the base amp works great. I played it for probably 2 hours. And it's like this thing sounds great, so I call my customer. He's all happy. He comes, picks it up, calls me back not long after, and he's like, "Yeah, the first gig. I took it. I put it on stage, turned it on, and it stopped working." I'm like, oh great! <laughs> like this is this is exactly how it's. I mean, this is brand new off the factory floor. So he brings it back, and and I start digging through it, and uh, the there's there's a preamp board and a power amp board, and on the preamp board, I'm starting thou shalt check voltages that's the first thing i do and i look at it it's got negative 15 volts and i check the positive rail and it's zero should be positive 15 so okay great uh so i've, I've got the smoking gun already that's yep. that's the good it's part be the fuse right yeah <laughs> uh so so i'm looking all over the board and and this one's funky it's got regulators all over it and i'm and i'm testing everything i was like there's 15 volts on the main board and there's a ribbon cable that jumps across. I'm checking the ribbon cable. Everything's great. And I'm sitting here just, like, frustrated out of my mind because I've got 15 volts where it should be, and I don't have it where it should be uh, at, on the other board. Yeah. So I ended up taking, a, uh, taking the board and looking all over the place, and then I lifted it up to uh, such that I could see a light behind it, and lo and behold, there's traces on the inside of the board. And literally from Audio the 15 volt. Blasphemy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> From the, it's a, it's a Joshmo uh, 7805 regu- or, Sorry, 7815 yep. regulator. It's got 15 volts right on its output pin and a trace that goes all the way over to the preamp board, and there's a broken internal trace. On, on a new board. Huh? On a brand new board from the factory, and I'm like, ah, oh, really? So it had worked when I put it in, and then the guy threw it in his car, and it probably got jostled around. Yep. I mean, you take it to a gig. His happens. roadie broke it. Yeah, exactly. So I'm like, really? <laughs> like, brand new from the factory, and an internal trace goes. So I routed the trace external, and everything works great. Perfect. So don't trust internal traces. They will break sometimes. Don't flex the board. Yeah. But that was a giant pain in the butt. And speaking
0: of trim pots, um, we got we're pretty close to finishing up that space echo. That's right. Um, and you were actually going over. I don't think we've talked about this on the podcast. I don't think um, so. You were, we were going over on calibration because we actually like fired it up and started. You know, first thing we do is to start messing with the knobs. Just, you know, see if it worked. And the reverb worked pretty well. Yeah. And the only thing that didn't really work was the echo, and it's a space echo. So we're like, okay, we got to figure <laughs> out why that's not working. But yeah. it would if you hit. Because we, we basically plugged the guitar into it, mm-hmm. and if you hit the guitar just right, it would work. Right. And we're like, okay, so it does work, and then, and then you started digging
1: into the service manual. Yeah, so, okay, something to, to note, we changed every cap on this board. Uh, I mean, we gutted every single cap. And, and we it, cleaned all the grime off. Oh yeah, no. This thing, this thing looks great now, and all the slime out of the pots and, and everything. It's 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 back up and running well. But but you got to think, nobody had done any service on this for the last I don't know, however many umpteen Three years, decades probably. Yeah. So all the components in this device kind of drifted together. Well, we just revitalized all the caps. So now all of our bias points, all of our calibration points are just skewed everywhere. So the thing needs recalibrated. And luckily, the service manual is readily available for download, so I'm like, hey, great. You just get service manual, and it tells you exactly what to do. Yeah, but it's it's weird because it's like input a
0: signal at, you know, was it negative 50 dB or something? Yeah.
1: Which is not even how you, like, would measure that. So it uses an old-ish nomenclature for, for audio terminology that, frankly we don't really use anymore and it's a pain in the ass because it's telling you to input signals in but it's using dbu which isn't even a term we use anymore so i'm sitting here scratching my head because it's saying like input this whatever number dbu and measure this voltage on this pin i was like why are you telling me to measure a voltage on a pin? Why couldn't you tell me to input a voltage yeah. at, the, at the input? Because that just makes sense. My signal generator doesn't output DBU. No, it's peak, peak voltage at a frequency. Right. So, so it's talking about a certain level of line level voltage for audio applications. So there's a whole standard that we use, but not, not really and sort of. It's goofy. Uh, so we're Only having the to, gray like, beards use it. yeah, exactly. So we need a gray beard to calibrate this thing. We're the thing is, I'm having to spend way more time interpreting the crappy uh, service manual than I am actually doing the calibration. The calibration is going to take ten minutes, but I have to figure out what all these numbers are.
0: Hey, if um, I, I think Stephen actually figured it out, but if you're an old audio gray beard out there that knows what that is yeah definitely let us know and then hey maybe
1: come by and fix it for us (laughs) calibrate it for us (laughs) so so actually okay the two numbers that are the most annoying to calculate are negative 50 and negative 48 dbu if you know what that means uh let us let us know i think we we've got to figure it out but because i mean it doesn't even have a frequency what that's at right it's just a what it's whatever level it's they, they call out a couple numbers for frequency. Okay. It's, it's one kilohertz is the standard for okay. testing audio gear. So yeah, it's a it's a, and it's a sine wave. So a negative forty-eight and negative fifty dBu signal at one kilohertz sine wave. Okay. So we'll put the the manual up on the podcast notes.
0: Yeah. Um. And if no one tells us anything, we'll just try it anyways and see what happens. <laughs> we got it. <laughs> Well we we're pretty good at not letting smoke out of electronics. Yeah. There's not much smoke in that machine either way. No. No. Not with all the shiny new fine gold caps. Yeah, fine gold caps. Dude, if we if I put those caps in backwards, I would have cried. <laughs> <laughs> that was a lot of work. RFO? Yeah, RFO section. Um This is a little bit different than we normally do. It's um I think C is CES going on right now. Computer electronic whatever it is that. Yeah. looks like it is. Yeah. Um, Cause I had some friends like just posting links of really cool, like laptops and stuff. And I'm like, Oh, I guess CES is going on. Um, but this one is really cool. I guess it's a, uh, it's razors project Val- Valkyrie. Something like that. Anyways, it's a three- You, you, wrote, you wrote Valerie. Valerie. Maybe it's Valerie. <laughs> the Valerie Well, I copied and pasted it, so that must be right. Okay.
1: Yeah. Valkyrie is a lot cooler and probably should be the name of this. Yeah, it should be. Um, anyways, <laughs> it's a three-screen laptop that uses
0: robot arms to extend the screen out. That's incredible. Yeah. So it's got some cool specs. You know, three screens. It actually has a mechanical keyboard instead of a, you know, stupid chiclet Apple keyboard. It's got an actual proper mechanical a keyboard. Proper keyboard. And it has a GTX 1080 GPU in it, which is pretty well, Wow. Um, no mention of what power consumption is, because this thing probably takes a fission battery to power it. Um, and the fact that if you tried to use this on, like, an airplane, you'd have to get the middle seat, then open it up, and the screens would fold out into your other people's tray area. <laughs> So wait, how much does one of these cost? Uh, it's not for sale yet. Okay, but the platform it's based off of, because Razer has a couple other laptops, those start at like four thousand dollars. Oh jeez,
1: <laughs> which is a order of magnitude more than my laptop. See, I think that what would be great is to take this to like a hoity-toity coffee shop, and then sit on one of their like tiny tables, get yourself a cappuccino, and then unfold your monster and, computer and
0: as the. <laughs> as the, as the uh, Robot arms are extending the screens. It like knocks other people's crap off. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. So the first person who uses this laptop on an airplane, take a picture of it because I want to see how much of a douchebag you are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's fairly obnoxious, <laughs> but it's cool. Very cool. I guess I I I'd, I'd want this just so like you could do like you know EDA tool stuff on the go, CAD. All that good stuff.
1: You know it's not for that.
0: No, it's... Well, not with a GTX 1080. Right. Like, I I need a laptop that's got at least two screens with, like, a wimpy CPU and GPU in it. And yeah. a nice keyboard. That's yeah. all I want. Someone make it. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, next is Tesla turned on their Giga factory, mm. which is their ginormous lithium battery factory that's in... Reno, Nevada. Yep,
1: that was supposed to. Well, they were talking about bringing it here to Texas, right? Texas was one spot. California was that. They were just all over. Oh, okay, where they were going. I at. thought it was a split between Texas and.
0: Yeah, it Nevada. was. It was up in the air, but it ended up being uh, Nevada. Just for the land was way cheaper, and the power is way cheaper to make. Sure. There.
1: And if you have a name like Gigafactor, you you need a lot of power. Clearly. Yeah. Well, it's. I think
0: it's all going to be solar. Really. Yeah. Um, I think it, it uh, yeah, it just turned on to like this week, and it's like 3,000 people are working there now. Wow. Yeah, it's a pretty big factory. Um, four four 4.9 million square feet. Jeez. I've, I want to know. this is know, just for their batteries? Just to build batteries. Wow. Yeah. I've, I, they didn't have any stats on like how many batteries they're producing right now, or like <laughs> one. I, yeah, one. <laughs> one <laughs> rolled out today. Um, because I want to know, like, how much power this factory consumes, how much water, how much lithium do they have to put in to get batteries out. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of cool. Well, you visited one of the factories, right? Tesla's Motor Factory in, in uh, Southern California. Yeah, how was that? That's really cool. It's the first time I've ever been to an automotive factory, though. So all that machines and arms and robots are really cool. That's cool. Um, the really cool thing they have are the six axis robots yeah. where they actually like machine out the rear like axle out of like a solid block of aluminum.
1: Oh, that's in, cool. In like one piece. Wow.
0: Yeah, that's really
1: cool. There's a lot of money pumped into that.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, it's a luxury car. Yeah. So, yeah, check out that, uh, the, the Giga Factory. Maybe someday we'll be able to go look at that thing. That'd be go awesome. Go tour of that. I guess we have to be in Reno, Nevada, though.
1: I've been out there before. It's pretty.
0: Is it cool, though? It's cool. That's cool. I guess we just go to Las Vegas right afterwards. (laughs) A couple (laughs) hours away. It's just right down the road in Texas terms. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) Um, And the last RFO is the other kind of bypass capacitors. So this is an article talking about different kind of bypass articles. And I picked this article because you might know something about it, I hope. I, I hope. I wrote an article about bypass caps. <laughs> well, you wrote about bypass caps in terms of power supplies. Yeah. And the mo- they're not really called bypass caps. They're more of decoupling okay. capacitors, at least in this guy's terminology. What he's talking about is bypass capacitors for feedback circuits. Mm. So for in like op amps and stuff. Okay, And basically, he's talking about all these different feedback circuits and how... Op amps actually have internal feed- these internal feedback capacitors that basically bypass and help it stabilize um, lower frequency signals yeah. by using the higher frequency stuff in the signal. Hmm. So you feedback more of the high frequency stuff to help it stabilize faster. So you get less basically um, less uh, transients in your in your in your
1: uh, feedback that 's cool, yeah, because okay, so uh, phase margin is is a big thing when you 're talking about feedback, yeah uh, because if you if obviously with uh, w- when you have a capacitor on there, um, in any part you 're going to get a phase shift, and if you phase shift enough, eventually you 'll be so far out of phase that the the amplifier will start to be uh, in a positive gain situation and it and goes from negative feedback to positive feedback. And uh, I
0: actually, I actually misspoke. It's actually the opposite. It reduces high frequency gain in your feedback loop.
1: Okay, yeah, that actually, yeah, that makes yeah, yeah. that makes a bit more sense. Yeah. So, so what's what's interesting is is the choice of verbiage there, um, or or calling them decoupling caps. Well, that's the power. That's what you wrote an article on. Yeah. Right. So when you're talking about feedback, um,
0: he's he calls he calls these bypass caps because how they work huh. is when when you're, you first power on, it's actually bypassing some of your, your feedback filtering. I got you. And letting, the, letting your op-amp stabilize faster that way with this, through this capacitor. And then when you hit steady state, nothing flows through that capacitor, and your normal feedback
1: loop works. That's interesting. So it was all about turn-on transients. Yes. Cool. Or turn-on to getting to steady state. Right, because the gain probably does some kind of funky spike exactly. as that's it's going, exactly and it does. can latch and get stuck in a position. Yep. Yeah, that's, that's
0: exactly what it is. So it's neat. It's on uh, the embeddedrelated.com uh, website. We yeah. have a link, and it's really cool, and it's actually really well written, and I probably would not have, if I actually read the whole thing, I would not make it to the podcast today, because... You know, I'd still be reading that article because <laughs> it's very interesting.
1: So so actually, uh, interesting story. You, whenever whenever you have any chip on a board, on the power rails, what do you normally put right next to the chip? 0.1 microfarad capacitor in the right voltage range. Exactly, except not always. Uh, so so I, what would you not use it for? Well, here's the thing that's interesting. Uh, we had a circuit a while back where we were actually producing a 1 megahertz um, output signal, and it was going down to a, an, an eddy current probe. Uh, so effectively, this probe produced a 1 megahertz uh, EM wave, and you, uh, if you put that in close proximity to a chunk of m- metal, mainly it was just steel, and, and you would wiggle that steel, you could actually read the vibration back. You could literally read the position based off of how the load was on this probe. Regardless, the Front end op amp that was actually aiding in producing that one megahertz signal, we were having a lot of trouble with it. And on both the positive and negative power rails, on that, we had 0.1 microfarad caps right next to the the chip. And we pulled those caps off, and the system worked perfectly. So, did y'all figure out why,
0: or is it just one of those like gray beard scratched, you know, scratched his chin and was like, let's remove those things?
1: Well, okay, so it was probably, obviously it was due to the caps, but it was probably due to their value. So, the the value of those caps were causing the power rail to phase weird. Uh, It's probably oscillating because of the 1 megahertz frequency. Right, right, exactly. So, the op-amp was trying to draw current at 1 megahertz, and that was causing some funkiness from the cap. Yeah,
0: I bet you, if you looked, I don't know if you would know the part number of those capacitors. Oh, shoot, that was (laughs) because 8 years ago. Yeah, it was another life, but because if you look at your uh, this is the thing you actually to be careful with bypass capacitors is you have to look at the data sheet that you're using. You can't just go to the cheapest one. You gotta oh, figure yeah, out yeah. is what is your power supply gonna be, basically what's your ripple oscillating at. Yeah. And you have to make sure that your bypass capacitors don't have roll-off before there or a roll-off in there. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um and so because you want your reject you want your capacitor to have a good rejection of ripple at that frequency mm-hmm. and so you have to pay attention to that and actually ran into that issue with the prop once is i was using you know we uh uh we we basically we overclocked a parallax propeller from 80 megahertz to 106 megahertz and the um some of the bypass caps we were using they had they were great at 80 megahertz but when you got up to 100 they were starting to drop off Right. That, that was on the drop-off, yeah. and so we got crazy ripple on the power supply because we're running the clock at 100 megahertz or 106 now, which is close enough to 100. Right. And so we just changed it to a base. We basically just went um up in package with the same brand, and it cost the same. Yeah. and But, that, but basically the added material
1: shifted that. That drop-off higher up the frequency band and got rid of it. Well, and and that drop-off is due to the parasitic inductance inside the cap. So just changing the physical size will certainly do that. And that
0: used to be the case, but it's not the case anymore. How so? Um, Capacitors are actually... Because that was actually due to just, like, they made it bigger, and so... There's just the different manufacturing techniques. Yeah. But now they're so good at making capacitors, you actually have to go in to the data sheet and make sure that's the case. Oh, okay. I see where you're going. Because go usually, yeah. you, the, used to be the old trick was to basically pick 0.1 microfarad yeah. and, like, 0, 0.603 and then a 0.1 microfarad of the same brand and 0, 0.805. Yeah. And just put them right next to each other. And then you wouldn't have any drop-off. In, in Or the, it's oh, way further out. Oh, oh, it's way further out. But your your, your notches. Don't overlap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But now, they, most cases, they do.
1: Well, and, and what what a, a lot of guys do is they just do the low value and then that same value times 10. So 0.1 That's and a 1 in parallel. And that allows you to sweep from way low all the way way high. Yep. And if you're doing something super high frequency, you can even throw a 10 picofarad or something in parallel with that on top of that. And then you get, you get crazy low impedance across the whole frequency band. Yep. Man, we got way more into that than
0: I thought we would. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Yeah. You know what? We should probably type what we just said into an article and add that as like bypass capacitors part two.
1: Every time we have a podcast, we just come up with like more work for ourselves
0: <laughs> in the podcast. I yeah. love it, but you know that's that's a good thing because I don't think you actually talked about frequency uh, analysis for bypass capacitors.
1: Oh, in the article that I wrote, yeah. no, I I just was basically praising just or just saying do it, do it, yeah, <laughs> uh, but 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 not like the intricacies of what happens when you do it wrong. Do it wrong. Maybe we should try to build a board that
0: does it wrong.
1: Yeah, that might actually be harder. To- to actually build one that does it right. Actually, an <laughs> oscillator. High-frequency oscillator. Yeah. I'm telling you that you, you can do it wrong. Easy. Okay. Cool. And yeah, that's
0: that's the last RFO. Mm-hmm. And this was episode 49 of the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. We were your hosts, Parker Doman. And Stephen Craig. Later, guys. Take it easy. Oh, yes. And have a great new year because this is the first podcast of the 2017. Cheers. Cheers.